Welcome to the thesis, Dr. Adu. Uh, first, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to participate in the second season of my podcast. Beyond that, I want to publicly thank you for your encouragement in launching, launching this podcast. When I first met you, you asked me, what are my passions and future goals? And one of my future goals at that time was to launch a podcast. Interestingly enough, I haven't told too many people this story. Uh, you asked me, you said, hey, what is the name of your podcast? And I was like, uh, I want to I want to name it. I'm black and I got something to say. And you were like, whoa, 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 that's not it. I challenge you to get back to me in a few days and let me know some other titles. And I appreciate you for challenging me that way uh, to help me understand that this is going to be a journey of challenges, challenging the people that I interview, challenging myself to learn how to edit. None of this stuff that coincides with this podcast has been something that I knew. I didn't know how to interview people. I didn't know how to edit. Uh, I didn't know how to release it on all these platforms, but by by the grace of God, by by using you as one of those people to influence me, I um, I was able to grasp some of those things. That's also when I was introduced to this concept of called, called being a quick start. I didn't know what a quick start was. So that's when I realized I was a quick start as well. Once again, after you challenged me to think of a title, I immediately went into the implementation process. But that's enough about that. This really coincides with what you do as a as a career, as a passion piece. So in part to you, my previous guests and, and followers, I am blessed to say that this has been a successful journey thus far. So I want to thank you. I salute you. In stating all of this, I know and I hope our listeners will conclude this chapter feeling enriched, gain some understanding, and possibly utilize the information shared in this chapter. We have so much information to discuss in this chapter, and I'm anxious to hear your input. In stating that, Let's jump right in. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. It is my pleasure as well. You know, I we've had so many conversations offline that I know this chapter will be amazing. That's three words. It's one word, but I turned it into three words. Um, but with that being said, for our listeners, please provide your education background and what drives your passion for the conversation that we're going to have today. Let's start all the way back in middle school. Let's go from middle school or junior high school and work our way up. Okay, let's do this. So I grew up in a small town called Irvington, New Jersey. It's about 2.5 miles big or wide. It's too small to be a city and too big to be a town. And I went to middle school. I was a smart kid. My family told me to go to school and do well. And that's what I did. Um, I was always inspired to do a good job at school. And that's exactly what I listened to. I listened to my, my family. And in middle school, my, my middle school teacher said, you need to go to 
you need to go to private school. And at that time in New Jersey, private school was extremely expensive and it wasn't feasible. But so I went to a public middle school. Then after middle school, I was frustrated. I was the kid that yelled at the kids because I wanted to learn. I always felt like I had to all my life. I had to fight. And I was willing to fight. I would throw things at students. I jumped on the desk. And I would I would simmer down the classroom so that my, my teachers could teach me because I knew that education was so important to me. And I mean, my teachers didn't want me to do that, but they understood why I was doing it. And I was just really an advocate for us learning. Like we can be kids in the hood, but we were smart and I, and I deserved and desired a good education. So after jumping on desk and throwing things at my classmates, I knew it was time to leave public school. So I went to an all girl parochial school for high school. And that was one of the best decisions that my family made for my life. They had to sacrifice. And one of the things I told my mother and my father was that if you invest in me here, you won't have to pay for me to go to college, but I need this initial investment. And I have three brothers and three sisters. No one else went to private school but me. And it was really because I advocated for it. I wanted to go to a beautiful school. I wanted to be inspired. And then I was able to get the Bill and Melinda Gates scholarship and get over 10 years of academic funding and keep that promise to my parents. Now, by no means was school cheap, but I knew that I desired more. And even as a young child, a young Black child in a Black city, I knew I deserved it, even though I didn't necessarily see it every day in my community. And I'm just, a, I am a product of having amazing advocates and mentors who saw that in me. So even if you are someone who is doing successfully, you're doing extremely well, make sure you're mentoring someone because that kid could be a me. Let's talk about from high school to college to, to your undergrad, to your master's degree, to your doctoral, you kind of miss some steps, you know. I totally forgot that I have more schooling. Isn't that so funny? I stopped right at high school. Um, that is hilarious because there's more. Going from getting that Bill and Melinda Gates scholarship and having access to up to 10 years of academic funding, I started my journey off at Morgan State University, the Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland, where I joined the fabulous organization called Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated. And then I decided to go to Philadelphia to the University of Pennsylvania. My first degree is in history at the university, at Morgan State University. And at the University of Pennsylvania, I went and got a degree in education. I thought my whole life I was going to be a high school teacher or a middle school teacher at the middle school that I went to. I was going to go back and get back to my community. Once I got to Philadelphia, there was a hiring freeze and there was an opportunity for me to move 5,000 miles around the world to the Republic of Kazakhstan. That is not exactly where I thought I would be an educator, but I ended up being there for three years, being able to travel the world, being um, exposed to cultures and people and people being able to be exposed to me. Sometimes I would go into remote areas of Kazakhstan and I would be the first and sometimes the last black person that people have ever seen. And um, that definitely takes a toll on you being literally the representative for your race. Um, after leaving the Republic of Kazakhstan, I re-enrolled in school and started my PhD journey at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I finally finished after seven grueling years. I finally finished and received my PhD in curriculum and instruction in December of 2021. So um, I think I'm done with school for now. 
but I'm definitely always will be a lifelong learner. Well, once again, I've already told you offline, but I'll say in a public space, congratulations. I know um, when I first met you, you were saying, this is it. This is my last year. I'm not going to carry this thing any longer. So by the grace of God, you were able to do it in in seven years, uh, which is the year of completion and all that good stuff. And But beyond that, I want to congratulate you for adhering to the process. A lot of times people start things and don't finish things. I mentioned in the first chapter for season two is oftentimes relationships fail because people give up on themselves. So if you can't adhere to a process in your personal life, if you can't adhere to a process in your professional life, then a lot of things are going to slip through your fingers. And one of the other things that I like that you've said so many times over the time that I've known you is uh, there's there's no better dissertation than a finish dissertation. So it does not matter how long it took. It's the fact that when people uh, address you in, in a professional setting, then they still have to say, hey, doctor, I do. So I congratulate you, doctor, I do. But beyond that, what inspired your line of inquiry for your dissertation and what's the name of your dissertation? Thank you for that. So my research interest developed while I was living in Wisconsin and I was taking on another journey. So what I didn't share was in addition to starting uh, my doctoral journey, two months before I entered school, I became an entrepreneur. So I had this passion and interest for marketing and brand strategy. And I, I just had a new love. I was falling in love with something else while pursuing this academic journey. And that's where this line of inquiry came. I had been in school so long, my original professor or advisor retired. The average age on my dissertation committee was probably 75 and people were retiring. And my new advisor was younger. And she said, how about, I know you're doing these things on the internet. And how about you incorporate that with the academic side? And for so long, I tried to fractionalize the, the things that I love so much. And I kept them separate. And she was like, if you really want to finish, you need to put them together. And that's where this story came from. It's called Dr. Sisterpreneur, the experiences of African-American women with PhD, African-American entrepreneurs, African-American female entrepreneurs with PhDs. It is definitely a mouthful. So I wanted to understand why I was so interested and being an entrepreneur. And I wanted to understand what that PhD journey also meant to me and fellow women who were, who were African American, of African American descent. And I will tell you, this seven years has definitely been a challenge, but everywhere I went in the academic side of my life, in the business side of my life, I would meet these women who were JDs or MDs and PhDs and EDDs, and we were at business conferences, learning marketing, learning branding, learning sales and how to profit and how to create digital products and how to make money using the internet. And I was like, why are these really educated Black women trying to run businesses. And there has to be something here because there's only about 2% of the population that have PhDs. So if we're talking, and if we're talking about a segment of that population, African-American people slash African-American women, it's a percentage of a percentage. The data was also skewing that African-American women were becoming the uh, most 
the, the largest population of people who were starting businesses, the fastest growing group of business owners. Um, but we were also the fastest failing group of business owners as well. So I was trying to understand why are we starting all of these businesses? Why are we also the largest contingent of people who were going to get college degrees? But why are we also failing in our businesses? So there, there were these things that were happening at the same time. And I was trying to understand my own journey. So through trying to understand what I was going through, it was so important for me to find women who looked like me, who understood both sides of my journey. Because when I was in only academic only spaces, they were looking at me like, why are you doing this frivolous work? You're leaving every week and you're going to these events that are non-academic. I'm not publishing. I'm not doing the traditional tenure route activities that my peers were doing on the academic side. And then on the business side, everyone was like, why are you going to school? Get this money. Like, I don't got no degrees. I got a high school diploma and I'm making millions, like leave school. So I needed, I needed to be affirmed that my existence and my reality mattered and that the things that I desired were important to me and they had to be important to somebody else. So finding those women who said, okay, I get it. I understand you want to pursue this degree. And I also understand that you want to pursue this business because that's me too. And then seeing women who look like me be successful when the data says we're not supposed to be successful is super powerful. So for, I think I did this maybe for some selfish purposes, but ultimately the work that I want to do in the world is I want to understand how do we produce more black girl magic in the world? Because I believe that if we have strong and powerful, healed and beautiful and successful women, we can do great things in the world. And ultimately, I just want to make the world a better place. And this is just my, my vehicle of choice. Wow, that's amazing. And I'm sure uh, one of the things that I, I, I believe I talked to you about was gathering empirical data regarding my listeners. Uh, there's several analytics that I have access to regarding my podcast. And once again, I want to thank you and I want to thank our listeners for their willingness to even listen because people can be doing anything, but they're taking their time out of their day to be here with us. And with that being said, over 50, about 54% of my listeners are women. Now, whether they're African-American women or not, that's, that's here nor there. But 54%, based upon the data, 54% of my listeners are women. So this conversation will be influential, hopefully, to them. You know, I may have a young lady who's listening to this conversation and will be thinking like, wow, uh, I don't have to give up on my education, but I don't have to give up on my people as well. But one thing that I, I wrote down that you were talking about, two things actually, was fractionalizing our passions. Now I'm paraphrasing what you because you just were on you were, you were going, and I think sometimes people minimalize things that are just consequential to them, but could be something huge for someone else. Oftentimes, I do that. I've been told, Brandon, you have to be aware of the imposter syndrome. For our listeners, look up what the imposter syndrome is. That's an offshoot of thinking something that is small to you is not monumental to someone else. 
the fact that you are you have a doctoral degree and it's only like you said two percent that's major two percent period not two percent just black women two percent period let's embrace that listeners so let's not fractionalize how amazing you are how amazing people are in their own rights. Like you said, even that woman who you said you ran into who only has a high school diploma, but she's a millionaire. That's amazing. That's talent. And that should be recognized. But beyond that, one other thing that I, that stood out to me in your last answer was you were looking to be affirmed. And that's something that I struggled with throughout my adult years. And I think that's a, that's, that's a millennial problem. (laughs) I call that one of those millennial problems. We seeked in different ways to be affirmed. In a lot of cases, our ways of seeking affirmation was having that degree on a wall with a name, with our name on it. Only to realize that in a lot of cases, we don't even utilize our degrees. Okay. And then we have all these debts and now we're begging Joe to give us some money. Metaphorically speaking, can you please help write off some of our school loans? Can you either give us 10000 or 50000 Now we're dealing with the consequence of our affirmations. I want our listeners to think about what you mentioned. That was a very transparent statement. Some people don't say those things out loud, that I look to do these things or I've done these things because I was looking to affirm myself. But anyway, let's let's get right back into the questions. Who are some women that have inspired you throughout your life, whether they have achieved massive academic success or no academic success? Who are some of those women and why have they inspired you? I've had so many mentors throughout my life. I would not be who I am today without them. And I can think of a few. One was my eighth grade teacher and she was phenomenal. She actually got her EDD and she's a school principal in Atlanta, in the Atlanta area. And when I saw her in eighth grade, she was 24 years old, beautiful brown woman. And I was like, this woman's awesome. I want to be like her. And she casually mentioned that her organization was having an interest meeting for their little sister auxiliary. And I became a member of that auxiliary. And I remember her teaching me the Greek alphabet after school in the eighth grade. And to see her now and to see me being a legacy of hers. Um, and then meeting my other person I call my big sister and being able to just learn and grow. And they told me as a member of that auxiliary club, the rower club, that you gotta, you're smart, okay, but you gotta apply for scholarships and not just one or two. You gotta apply for 30 or 40. You have to do this. So having women, this is the thing I'm gonna say for anyone, you need to have a multi-generational team of queens. You need to have people who are in increments 10 years younger than you, 20 years younger, 10 years older, 20 years older. You will get the game plan for life if you keep a multi-generational team of queens and kings around you. So having them when they are going through their 20s and 30s, and I'm a teenager, and they're sharing their experiences of getting older. So then now I'm I'm in my 30s. I'm like, oh, they told me about this thing that's happening to my life or to my body. Now I now I get it. So 
that piece is so important. Um, I had my, my first advisor. So when I first went to Wisconsin, I, at my advisor, Gloria Latson Billings, Dr. Gloria Latson Billings, who happened to be a, a fellow graduate of Morgan State University. She lived in Philly and our lives were semi parallel. And then we happened to end both up in Wisconsin. And being under her tutelage before she retired was so impactful because I remember coming to her office the first semester that I was in graduate school and I had straight A's. So I was, a, I was still was a good student. And I was like, I think I'm going to quit. Straight A student, that imposter syndrome that you talked about. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm cut out for this. And she was like, you will not quit. And you will do this for the fourth grader that does not know this is possible. And I am a live streamer. I love to do live video. And years later, a parent came to me and she said, well, my daughter said that if Sade is in school and running a business, I can do it too. And I happened to say, how old is your daughter? And we found out that she was in fourth grade. And I said, I, my eyes got teary because that was the vision that someone told me years ago that this ain't about me. This is about people that don't even know this is possible because you're, you're doing the things that you're doing. You're taking risks. You're, you are surviving and striving, even in the midst of imposter syndrome. Somebody else is going to be able to thrive. So I just am truly appreciative of all my mentors, my um, business mentors as well, that let me know that it was okay to do both. And that you can be smart, you can be sassy, and you can redefine what a PhD in a businesswoman looks like. And that's such a great point. I often tell people that the things that I do is not always about me. I always say, and I don't want to put this out there, I don't want to buy stuff, an idea that I mentioned to you, but I always mention to people, I'm here to help. Anybody that knows me, they, they've heard, not anybody, but a lot of people that know me have heard me say, hey, I'm, I'm just here to help. It doesn't have to necessarily benefit me immediately, but because I have been mentored, because I had older men that have come into my life at different points in my life to say, Brandon, you're brilliant. Brandon, you're smart. Brandon, you can do this. You can accomplish that. If I didn't have my mentor who was a mentor at that time, but now he's my fraternity brother, say to me, you're too smart to go to that particular school. You should consider other school. And me eternalize that and say, well, maybe he's right. <laughs> you know, I sometimes you don't see the talent in you or you don't see the mark that you can leave on this planet. See, some people think so isolated about themselves and the four or five people that they interact with on a regular basis instead of thinking, how can I impact this planet? This podcast is an opportunity for me to unpack this planet and not it be about me, not it be about me cutting the recorder on and running my mouth about things that I only think is important. I'm providing this podcast to unlock the thoughts of time. That's one of my taglines. To unlock the thoughts of time. So I'm glad that the universe, that God, whatever people, you know, I want to determine that for our listeners, but that you were able to run into those women that impacted you in a positive way. 
And now the great thing about life is you get to turn around and reinvest that, that energy into this planet. Now you got a fourth grader saying, hey, I can do it because Dr. I do is doing it. That is a blessing. That is what I would call a legacy as we transition from that. Let's go into something else. I know you said you were in the education system at one point. Now you're in a different chosen profession. And uh, I don't know if it chose you, you chose it, but what is that chosen profession and what's the name of your company? Let's be clear. I didn't choose this at all. (laughs) I wanted to be a teacher. I was happy being in the classroom. That was my vision. When you ask me what I want to be when I grow up, I'm going to be a teacher. Uh, Life had a different, and God definitely had a different trajectory for my life. Uh, The name of my company is Savvy Solutions Consulting. I called it that because I wanted to solve problems. I wanted to be the solution and the difference maker. And I wanted to be strategic and a little bit sassy with it. So that's where this name came from. And I I started my business a month before I resigned from my job in, in Kazakhstan. I knew that my time was up. The things that I was supposed to do overseas were done and I needed to I needed to leave. And I always say to all my teachers who transition into something else, we always it's always seems like we're guilty. We feel guilty about leaving the classroom. And I realized that the world was going to be my classroom. And right before I fully transitioned to full time entrepreneurship, I also taught a, um, a summer class at Princeton University. And I remember being in the room, one of the hallways of Princeton, and thinking maybe Michelle Obama was in this classroom. And I, I looked at the walls and I said, I'm not supposed to be in the classroom anymore. This is the last time I'm going to be with a group of students. And it was painful to me, but I knew there was more. And I cried in that classroom. And I thought, you know, there's more for me. And I had to be okay with letting it go. So for some people who are listening and you know it's time to release some things out of your life, this is your sign. It's time to let it go. I have said so many times on this show that there's a big difference between a a job and a career. And oftentimes people are in a job that they hate. It's a re- unrelenting abusive relationship. Okay. Listeners, let's think about this for a second. Even if it doesn't apply to what you're doing right now, think about how many jobs you've had that it was it was a daunting task just to get out the freaking bed in the morning because you needed to go somewhere that's providing you income in exchange for something you don't want to do. It doesn't speak to you anymore. You're not helping people anymore. You're just there. You're just there and they're just there to provide you some income. I've realized that about my own job. I'm just there now. That's why I'm transitioning to the IT space. That's a bigger chessboard for me than to be so isolated like I have been. And that has pained me because I care about my community. But realizing that I'm doing something that's so small in the grand scheme of things of what I could ultimately do is important. But beyond that, for some of our listeners, they know I've wanted to be a teacher at one point. And 
I remember talking to my thesis professor before matriculating from my university. He uh, he was walking me through the process of transitioning to a t- teaching position. And I believe I told you this before, Dr. I do. But for our listeners, I, I I was offered a job in a school district in North Carolina. My thesis professor slid the offer across the table and he said, I got a job offer for you. So I'm like, oh, great, man. You know, I can transition immediately from college to the education space because we need more black men in these education spaces. Let me say that again. We need more black men besides being a coach and a PE teacher. We need more black men in STEM and other areas in the education space, especially history, especially now that we're talking about this critical race theory thing. But I'm not going to go there. That's not what this, this episode is about, or rather this chapter is about. But what I will say is when I looked at that offer, I immediately realized why so many people are transitioning from the education space. We have to think about collectively what does education look like for our youth? And it starts with the teachers. We have to take care of our teachers. You can't sell. And that's what I want. I, I intend on naming this chapter, Dr. I do. You have to sell what you know. So if you're trying to sell people on the education system, and then I'm going to get off this TED talk. If you're trying to sell people on being educators, then you have to sell something that's more than just, hey, you have a passion to teach. What about the kids? You have to also take care of these teachers, these educators. They're empowering the youth. They are empowering the youth. And we need to we need to start thinking collectively as a body. How can we change this mind frame? What's going on? And it's not just in North Carolina across the United States. But I transition from that to ask you this. What is branding to you? Why is it so important? And before you answer that, I want to thank you for not allowing me to name my show. I am black and I got something to say. Because you said to me after challenging me on name, wanting to name it that, you said, what is your bigger goal? See, that was you giving me a nugget of branding. What is your bigger goal when you think about this podcast? And I had to sit in that for a few days. Like, is this something, my little passion piece, my little kick around piece for now? Or is this something that can be trajected into way into the future? Beyond podcasting, you've talked to me about that. What's beyond podcasting, Brandon? So, you know, I appreciate you. But like I said, what is branding? Why is it important? So I want to, you said a lot and I really want to comment on that. I'm going to bring it back to this branding conversation. You talked about education and and the importance of having men in the classroom. Um, I know you asked me about my female mentors, but I have to talk about some of my male mentors too, because I wouldn't be where I am. And one of those mentors is my fourth grade teacher. This four keeps coming up. Uh, Dr. Otis Nelson, who was the first time I realized that you could be a doctor and not be a medical doctor. And he gave me books every single month. We had book reports. And one of the first book reports was about Madam C.J. Walker, the first Black self-made millionaire in the United States. And I think about 
that wisdom he imparted in me as a fourth grade kid. And he was from Mississippi. So every lesson was about civil rights and him walking with Dr. King. He was like 60 years old. He was beating kids. He was plucking them like he really, he was old school. And, and the parents allowed him to do this. So I thank him so much. And I wish he was still alive to see what he helped birth. So I think I was building a brand since I was a kid. So I, I tried to figure out this branding journey. I love to use the quote, um, a brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And it's from Jeff Bezos. You might know him. He has a little company called Amazon. I love to start the conversation there. And then for me, again, this has been a very reflective moment. Why did I go into business and why did I decide to go into brand strategy? I originally started my business as a, uh, as a life coach and as a college and career coach because I knew I was good at the school thing. I was helping people get into graduate school. I knew what to, I was writing personal statements for people. I knew how to get people jobs. I was really good at that. Um, I've even gotten somebody a job at MTV. So I really was good in getting them into graduate school. I was good, good. But people kept coming to me about their businesses. And I'm like, I'm a teacher. Why do y'all keep coming to me about this branding thing and this business thing I don't understand? And what I realized was when I was in middle school, the way I made my money back in the day in Irvington, New Jersey, was I used to work on uh, municipal, gubernatorial, and presidential elections. I was campaigning before I could vote, before I was eligible to vote. So my, my instead of working at like a store, because I didn't want to do that, I wanted to work in politics. So I learned a lot about marketing, branding, at that time it's called image and, re, and reputation from, poli, from politicians. So I would be phone banking. I, I knocked door to door. I would register people to vote. And I was like 12, 13, 14, 15. And they would pay me the city would pay me to uh, help with campaigns. So that, and I realized that I was doing that as a kid. So it made a lot of sense that years later that I would be helping people build their reputations and learn how to market. Cause I knew how to knock on doors and call people since I was a teenager. So those skills that I, that laid dormant for so many years came back. And I realized everyone used to come to me from middle school high school to college. I've always been in student government, student council. I've always been some type of leader. And on the flip side, they would come to me for campaign slogans. I was making slogans, creating graphics. I didn't realize that that would become a business. And I didn't realize that people saw that gifting in me because I thought they were crazy. I was like, I'm a teacher. So this is a nugget I like to say to people. Sometimes there's a gifting in you that you can't see because we're so close to our babies. We're so close to our talents and we discount our gifting. Sometimes it's going to be someone else who sees you on the outside, who's not attached to you and, and, and your, your, your challenges of what you cannot see about yourself. That's going to be able to extract that from you. They're going to be able to say, okay, you're a great writer. You're a great listener. You're this, you're that. And then now you can turn those things into monetizable skills. So this branding thing I was doing years, decades before it actually became a formal business. So going back to that quote from Mark, from Jeff Bezos, your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. When I'm speaking at live events and I'm talking specifically about branding, I'll tell people to pick up, take their phone out 
and text five people. And what, and I want you to ask them, what do they think about you? Now, of course, that, that response that you receive from these five people will be different based on how they know you. Your spouse is going to say something different than a work colleague and then your, then your grandmother or a cousin or a client. And it's really important to know what is the perception of your value in the marketplace. And the goal is that we want this to be in alignment with how we want people to perceive us, especially if you're a business owner. So um, it's very important that we do this self-reflective work and research within our just our current ecosystem and sphere of influence. And if you are an entrepreneur and a business owner, you definitely want to know what your consumers and customers think about you because it's super important. We want them to have positive experiences and we want them to have, we want them to think good things about us. And on the same vein of that, great branding is not also about people feeling good about you. It's also about them not liking you too. You want people to feel red hot or ice cold. And I know that means something different to Brandon, <laughs> but we want them to feel, we want them to either be like, we love it or we hate it. You want both. Just like some people, I use the example of, are you a, are you a team iPhone or team Android? People get super excited. They're like, I'm team iPhone, forget you Android. And then on the other side, I'm team Android, forget you iPhone. Like we have an innate feeling about these inanimate objects. That's the power of building a brand. So, I mean, I can talk about this ad nauseum, but I'm not, this is Brandon's show, but that's just a little bit of what happened to me. I fell in love with branding and marketing. Thank you so much. One of the things that I want to add to that, and not to say that what you said is not amazing, but one thing that I I do want to add to that for our listeners is, With all that she said, nothing is more important than your personal brand, in my opinion. You know, sometimes people forget about who they are individually. I've been told this so many times uh, throughout life. Here's an example. I asked my mother, why did she name me my name? And she told me now, you know, those who have listened to my show from season one, know that my mother was a teen mom. So as a teenager, my mother said, and I'm paraphrasing mom, so forgive me if I got it wrong. I did not want people to judge you based upon your name before you even got there. My mother was working on my brand from the beginning. There's been so many times that I have gone into a space and people see my name. They see what college I went to my career choices, and they think I'm going to show up and look one way, but I look a different way. My mother had foresight regarding my brand. And as I close this particular point, I hope to have a chapter in season two called My Name is My Name, because your name is your name. Your name is your legacy. Your your name is your brand. As I transition from that, I understand that the game should be sold and not told, Dr. Ogden. It's the reason you've told me so many times before. (laughs) Oh, I see what you're doing. You're trying to get the $5,000 package for free. Now, I know we've talked recently and that $5,000 package is going to turn to $15,000 package. We're going to claim that, you know, but I don't think people understand 
what type of money is in this branding thing? What type of money is in this entrepreneurship lane? You have blessed me with the opportunity recently to attend a a virtual conference um, that is held by a company named TSP. Now, they didn't offer me any money to drop their name, but I was so inspired to be in the room of hundreds. And I'm not talking about 150. I'm not talking about 206. I'm talking about at least 600 people that are extremely financially successful, not just people, 600 African-American or people of color people that were either millionaires, multimillionaires, hundred thousand heirs on a consistent basis. You introduced me to this mindset of mastermind for African-Americans. Now I heard about masterminds before, but I didn't know it was a space specifically for African-Americans. I said that blurb to say this. If you could provide our listeners with some general digital marketing ideas that they should implement in some type of way. You know, I might have some some listeners, we might have some listeners that are considering and launching a product, considering and launching their podcast, their show, their brand. What are some general ideas that you would suggest to them? I, w- I do want to go back to some of the things that you've said as well about naming. So my, my father named me because he wanted me to be famous. I didn't know it was going to be internet thing. So going back to this topic about the internet, I had no idea that you could just make money by being yourself. I thought this was reserved for famous people, but we live in a world, we live in a society where you can literally get paid for being you. And I know so many people think that it's reserved for people who look a certain way or do a certain thing, but it's not the case. We're seeing it every single day that videos and people are are going viral. And if they know how to strategically position themselves, they can create a business from anywhere around the world, seven days a week, that is taking care of their families and allowing them to live a phenomenal life. And and it doesn't matter what your background is, what your credentials are, who your mama is and ain't. It does not matter. There are people who want to hear your message. So I'm on a mission to make sure that we open up doors for people and let them know what's possible. Because once you see something, you can't unsee it. That's the key to this. So once we unlock some some timeless thoughts and ideas, you can't unsee it. You can't unthink about it. And that's why it was so important for me. I, uh, when I was in graduate school, I would go to school. I would have class from Tuesday to Thursday. And from Friday to Monday, I would be at an event because I was relentless. I had to go on a bus, boat, plane, or train to get this knowledge that, I'm, that we're about to drop. Number one, you should teach what you know. You've had life skills, credentials, degrees, heartbreaks, upsets, life lessons that you've learned from your family, your kids being single, um, traveling, not traveling. The things that you know can be packaged into a program, product, or service and turned into a business. The key is to make sure that your business solves problems. That was why I called it Savvy Solutions. Most businesses fail because they fail to solve a marketplace problem. There's a statistic. I took a a business course with Cornell University, 
and 43% of businesses that are funded, these are businesses that actually get money, fail because they don't solve a marketplace need. So for me, especially when I work with African-American women and Black-owned businesses, we can't afford to fail. So it means that whatever we're putting out in the marketplace must be valuable, must be marketable, must be something people actually want to buy. So if we start there because we got limited funds, limited access to resources, we know that we don't get a venture capital. Most Black-owned businesses do not get millions of dollars to, to play around with their ideas like our less melanated counterparts. So we got to be committed to having great business models that actually make money. So when I had those conversations with Brandon about this podcast, I was like, what's the purpose of this podcast? Is this a leisurely thing? Then have fun if it's a hobby. But if you're positioning this as a business model, there are certain systems and procedures that we need to follow, okay? <laughs> you know, like I said, that's in the $5,000 package. Well, you know, I, I, you know, put some respect on my name. I got this degree, so the prices had to go up because I look at some of my colleagues who do what I do and charge 10 times, three times, or more of the, of the amount of what I'm doing. And I realized that I'm committed to generational wealth, this new concept, dynastic wealth. I need it to last beyond me. There are people in my community that have 300-year plans, 300-year family plans. Like, what does that look like when you're trying to plan 300 years out for the next generations? So it's important. It's imperative. You get nothing else from me today. If you're going into business as a freelancer, you, you, might, you like to write? Review resumes. I'm going to put you on game. When I first started, I would go on a website called Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R.com. And I would let, and back in the day it was $5 and I would pay somebody $5 to write resumes for my clients. And I would sell them for $30 because I had to review them and edit them, make sure they looked good. And then I would sell them for $30. There are people you can pay to do things, make graphics, make resumes, uh, make all, make websites. And you don't have to have the skill set. And you're just literally the third party person who's selling that service. So that's some of the things we do on our agency side. We find skilled people, technicians who know how to do things. And I pay them and I have my clients pay me a higher price. This is business. If you have a physical product, let's say you sell candles. You find someone who sells the candles to you at a bulk rate and you sell the candles for a higher rate plus tax and shipping. This is business. So the name of the game is to really find a great product, a great service, and tell people about it. We have this beautiful thing called social media. I've made my first six figures online doing live video on a platform that's no longer here called Periscope. It changed my life. It allowed me to travel the country, travel the world, and meet people from everywhere. I have people that I know from all over the place because I was just this girl in my room in Wisconsin talking my talk about how I wanted to make people build brands and grow their businesses. And people began to listen and pay me. And I was, at that time, I was charging $80 for everything. So you get this for $80. You can get that for $80. And you can probably get my firstborn child is not born for $80. And then I met mentors who said, you need to you need to charge more because one of the things I will say about us in business, especially my, my, my melanated folk, when we get into business, we think it's okay to charge ourselves minimum wage. When if you got that offer letter, there's no way you would have accepted minimum wage for all those skills, degrees, 
heartache and trials and tribulations that you've been through. But in business, we think that's acceptable to charge pennies on the dollars. We have to transition from being the employee to the CEO. The way you function as an employee is not the same as a CEO. And what I also want to say is everybody does not need to be an entrepreneur. Everything that you love and do does not need to be monetized. You can have fun. You can have a passion. But if you're hearing this and you have the urge to leap into entrepreneurship, do it the right way. First, let me just, I, I got to say this. If you're, if you're thinking about making that leap, number one, get your money in order. So if you are in debt, if you know you have a certain lifestyle, please know your numbers because you're not going to be rich overnight. I don't care what these people tell you on the internet. Make sure you're able to take care of your family because they ain't asked for this. You're the visionary. You're driving this ship. So make sure you are being fiscally responsible. Put money to the side so that you can reinvest in your business because they cost money. I spent a lot of money. Okay, I invest heavily in myself, not just on my academic side, but on the business side. So get the finances in order. Number two, figure out what's going to be your fastest pathway to cash. How can you make money the fastest? What's going to be the most fiscally responsible way? What's going to be the easiest way? What's your genius? What can you sell today? Okay. Number three, if you want to go faster and further, invest in mentorship. There are people who've already created the blueprint. We don't got to figure this thing out. I don't have 20 years to become a millionaire. I need this to happen a little bit faster. So I'm willing to invest in, as Brandon has talked about, in masterminds. I have mentors who've amassed over $10 million. And they have mentors who've amassed over 50 to $100 million. Do you know what that's like being a black girl from Jersey and you can call people and message them and they'll pick up the phone? That changes the trajectory of my entire family's life. So get in communities. And if you're like, I'm trying to get my six figures, get in communities of people who make it. Normalize wealth for yourself. Even if it's not the reality that you see today, you got to normalize. It's okay for you to have money. It's okay Especially my people of faith. It's okay for you to have money because guess what? I'm on a verge. This, this is how I reprogram my, my, my people in ministry. How about this? I know you want to give everything away because it's your ministry. But how about we have a new goal? And if it's not attached to money, what if it's attached to tithing? So I had to shift a little bit. And I was like, you know what? I want to be a six-figure tither. Forget this whole million-dollar thing. How, what do I need to do? Who do I need to be that I want to be able to write a check for six figures and it's going back to the kingdom? Then your goals are different. Your swag is different because your mission is different. So I want you to understand when we have more, we do good things in the world. And the person you are today, wealth is only going to amplify it. So if you're an amazing person, guess what? You're going to be even better. If you're a crappy person, all it's going to do is amplify you. So I want to do my recap. Make sure you get your money in order. Make sure you are finding things that are products, programs, and services that you can get to market quickly and make money quickly. Invest in mentorship and understand that we are building wealth conscious, wealth minded people. Be normalized wealth. It's okay to have money. It's okay to invest in yourself because you are your best investment. I want to. I want to allow our listeners a moment to embrace all of that. 
But also, I want to give our listeners a moment to, you know, for our listeners who want to get some more information about what you're saying. How can our listeners who want to get more information? How can they get in contact with you? What's your what's your handle? You know, I don't have any social media stuff. So, you know, what's the what's the best way to contact you? Doctor, I do. If they want to get some more information about being an effective entrepreneur and branding, and you know, maybe they want to reach out to you to be uh, for for you to mentor them. What's what's that contact information for them? Thank you for saying that. I'm always on the internets. Um, I like to hang out on Facebook. You can find me at shadeyadu.com. It's spelled like shade. Blame my family. Shadeyadu.com is my website. And all of my social media um, channels are there. We're in the process of rebranding and updating because I just finished school. So most of my stuff still says shadeyadu.com. So, but we will be transitioning to this new thing, this doctor name. So you can find me on my website. Thank you so much for that. So as I always do for all of my guests, if you could give a thesis statement for this chapter, what would that thesis statement be? I'm going to go with my tagline, just to do it. If it's on your heart, if it's in your mind, you got to go for it. Don't delay. You know, life is very short, especially in a season like we're in just to do it. You know, one thing I learned from my thesis professor is you don't need to write an extremely long thesis statement, Brandon. Sometimes it's it's so much knowledge in a brief statement. When I was talking to you initially about this podcast and you posed a, a great question when you said, are you talking about a podcast or are you going to do a podcast that blew my mind and it was so simplistic not to question your intellect but it was so simplistic are you talking about it or are you going to do it and as I close to our listeners sell what you know invest that time that energy into educating yourself go to Coursera go to your community college reach out to mentors Reach out to people that have wisdom and knowledge and tool sets that you might not have. Hey, go to this thing called YouTube University. Oh, my gosh. It's a wealth of information on YouTube. But, Dr. I do. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to give your wisdom, your knowledge, your tips. Hell, tell some of your story to our listeners. As I mentioned at the beginning of this chapter. I am sure that someone, some people will walk away from this particular chapter feeling enriched. For my returning listeners or for my listeners, I want to welcome you to the thesis, a podcast where we unlock the thoughts of time. Be encouraged.